calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist's life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at a rate of one sentence a day. Life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life. And the tools of life to your writing. Amen. This is an incredible episode. Actually unprecedented because for the first time we have three guests today that we'll right. bring in later, but I just have to say- It's a village. It takes a village to do a podcast. So we, we have the great Charles Johnson. The great John Jennings. And the great Brian Moss. That's so right. we're going to be talking all about comics, graphic novels. But first, just catch up a little bit on what's been going on this week. This is toward the end now of Black History Month. And I just wanted to mention something that, honestly, I had not remembered until the Zen Educational Project uh put a post up on Instagram and Twitter, February 20th was the anniversary of my late mother, Patricia Stevens Dews, jail-in. There was a historic jail-in in Tallahassee, Florida. My late mom and her sister, my Aunt Priscilla Stevens Krause, were really excited by their first exposure to a meeting by a civil rights organization called CORE, the Congress of Racial Equality. And after the Greensboro sit-ins, they said, hey, we can do sit-ins in Tallahassee, Florida. So they just a handful of them, really. That You know how it is when organizations start. It's just like a, a couple people start that snowball rolling. But they, they went, several students from Florida A&M University went, and they got arrested. And when my mother was arrested and my aunt, rather than paying their fine, they were like, we're not going to pay for segregation. They decided to go to jail. And they spent 49 days in jail, got all kinds of attention internationally. Dr. King sent them a telegram. The baseball great Jackie Robinson sent them diaries to fill out. And afterward, they went on a speaking tour where they were hosted at Eleanor Roosevelt's. I mean, it was just like a whole thing. Uh, but I just wanted to acknowledge that, that milestone. Very cool. Very, very good. Your mother was an amazing woman. She was, and I'm so thankful that she supported me in the arts. I have said many times, because my father, who's still living, John Dew, is a civil rights attorney, and they were titans to me, absolute titans. And if either one of them had given me any indication that they thought I was wasting my time or wasting cultural capital in the arts, I might not be a writer. Well, you're talking about the internal permission thing. Yes. Do you have permission to express your excellence? Do you have permission to be who you really are and, you know, sing your song. Um, and if you did not get that from your parents, you're going to need to find a way to give it to yourself. Ooh, um, it would have been tough. I put them on such a pedestal. 
you know, both of my sisters, Janita and Lydia, they're both lawyers, you know, following in my, my father's footsteps. Right. So, but, uh, your mom wanted to be a musician, didn't she? She did. Thank you for mentioning that. We used to play trumpet duets when I was in middle school. She had a trumpet. I had a trumpet. She was a music major, which just really underscores to me how much she sacrificed for the movement because the first couple years of her college life were all about just being a college student, playing in the band, uh, orchestra, bassoon, trumpet, little piano, having fun, getting in a little bit of trouble. But the minute they were exposed to a concrete methodology, like these are the steps you can take. You go into an establishment, you establish your goals, you resist, non but nonviolently, like you go limp. You know, it was just like a blueprint. And once they had that blueprint, it was it, I mean, for the rest of her life, basically civil rights, social agitation, that was, that was her life. Well, that's that whole thing. You need a map, you know, the whole magic formula, right? You have to have a map of a potential of a potential set of strategies that will allow you to leverage your energy and intelligence and creativity. So you move towards a goal. And one of the things that, that we wanted we want to do on this show is to every week provide a map to how can you be more efficient and effective. Just, you know, to move from the political to the personal arena in the last week, we have been hit with multiple, you know, curiosity about projects, we could be about to get overwhelmed. So we have to have very in a good way, strategies though. in mind for how can we actually meet these deadlines? How can we produce the best work we can within a controlled time frame without clawing each other's eyes out? Last week we did the, you know, how to collaborate without killing each other. It's going to be, how do you, how do you, during the times, and if you stay on the carousel long enough, the brass ring comes around. And sometimes it'll be, you know, feast or famine that you go through a long period of time where nothing is happening and all of a sudden a ton of stuff is happening. How can you do that? How can you do that with a certain degree of, of joy? You can't, don't want to mention any of the projects right now, but they involve books that you wrote, books that we wrote, projects that I've done, you've done, other projects that people are bringing to us. And, you know, and there are times when if you don't take advantage of those projects, they're gone forever. And yes. you'll end up wondering, why didn't I take that? So one of our friends, Brian Fuller, talks about how he can write, you know, he can only be showrunner on one project at a time, but he can write five projects at a time. And Rodney Barnes, you know, I, I don't even have any idea how many projects he's juggling. So the the idea that we can only do one thing at a time, I think is connected with the idea that maybe we are only doing one thing. What we're doing is we're paying attention. We're being honest. We're expressing ourselves. There are many different containers that can hold that creativity, but there is only one thing that you're doing and that's you're being yourself right. at this it's moment, being appropriate. Expressing yourself through writing. And I know neither of us wants to make what I would consider the mistake we made last year. Although in retrospect- What was that? We were, let me, let me set the table here. We were working on a feature script. We were working on maybe two pilot scripts, several pitches, and then a major horror showrunner offered me a spot in a mini room and I turned it down and I'm like, oh, never again, never, never, never again. So uh, that's what we're learning how to do. Yeah, how not I mean, to it's like, you know, overwhelmed. Jason still, you know, rubs my nose in the fact that I turned down that animation gig. I thought for sure that other things were going to happen. And I was in the middle of this. It was working on uh, the Hannibal series with Vin Diesel, you know? And so I thought, <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> it's like, open up the gates, Lord, I'm coming home. And this is like, you know, hallelujah. I thought everything was working. And then that fell through and the long winter began. Yes. Oh my goodness. So we've learned. So it would have been better to, to split my attention and do two projects than to put all my attention on one project, have that fall through, and then I got nothing. So right. I think that, that that idea of overlapping projects, over, you know, that we're promoting one thing while we polish something else, while we're doing rough draft on this, while we're brainstorming about this, while we're pitching about this, while we're taking meetings about that, all at the same time. How do you center yourself? So the, the, the first thing is, you know, I'd say every hour, every at least once every three hours, stop and breathe deep slow diaphragmatic breathing for 60 seconds just center yourself 
Critical, critical, critical. And also reward yourself. N.K. Jemison talked about how if she wrote up to a certain writing quota, then she would give herself the treat of playing on her video game. Also, I love the idea of just walking through a doorway to acknowledge that you've accomplished a task so that the whole day just doesn't feel like a blur of work and we have the sense that we haven't accomplished anything. Now, if you get up and you acknowledge every time you accomplish something, listen. I really need to do that more. I mean, please, you know, r- remind me of that more. I really do tend to just roll over into what's, into what's next. I, you know, stop and say, wow, I did this. Yes. I did this. You know, it's that little kid inside you that is the creative you know, dynamo needs to be patted on the head and said, good boy, good girl. Wow, exactly. aren't you clever? So, look, I guess, you know, I, I want to talk about we have a lot to talk about today that is yes. specific to all of this process. So I wanted to give a, a very short intro to the fact that 10 years ago, you know, I, I'm always looking at models of behavior, of how we can be more efficient and effective as human beings. And one of the models was Buddhism's Eightfold Path to producing proper behavior to be in alignment with the Tao, to be in alignment with nature so that we can evolve as human beings and hopefully, you know, become awake and, and enlightened. And it occurred to me that it would be possible to, to create a series of stories, an anthology in graphic form. And I thought this should be graphic, not, not written stories, each of which expresses one of these, one of these segments. And, and I'm not going to be specific about them because I have somebody who can be a lot more specific than I can. And I knew that if I was, I've meditated for years and been involved in yoga and martial arts and so forth, but I'm not a practicing Buddhist. But when I realized that within my resource circle was someone who was, who was also an, an amazing writer and also just a good friend, I thought that if I could enlist him in this process, that I then would have the resources necessary. So let me, you, 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 you go with this. I'm excited about this introduction because, listen, I've been reading Dr. Charles Johnson since I was a child. Sorry, I hate it when people say that to me, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know how it feels. <laughs> I read uh, his cartoons in Ebony Magazine using humor uh, and cartoons to address all these big issues of, of the day, integration, you know, civil unrest, you name it. And that was just a staple in our household. I'll go into the official introduction. He's a University of Washington professor emeritus, the author of 26 books, a novelist, philosopher, essayist, literary scholar, short story writer, cartoonist, and illustrator, author of children's literature, screenplay and teleplay writer, a MacArthur Fellow. He received a 2002 American Academy of Arts and Letters Award for Literature, a 1990 National Book Award, for his novel, Middle Passage, which I know is required reading in schools and universities all over the country. 1985 Writers Guild Award for his PBS play, Booker. The 2016 W.B. Du Bois Award at the National Black Writers Conference. Many, many, I really, I can't go into all of the awards, but I would like to talk about his most recent publications, which are The Way of the Writer, Reflections on the Art and Craft of Storytelling. His fourth short story collection, Nighthawks, which was nominated for a 2019 Washington State Book Award, Grand, A Grandparent's Wisdom for a Happy Life, and the graphic novel, The Eightfold Path. And I also had the pleasure of introducing the two of you. Well, it was one of those situations where like two seconds after I met him, I could introduce him to you. But let me tell you, when you're a newlywed, as I was, uh, we'd only been married a couple years, and we were living in the Pacific Northwest where there were not a lot of Black people, let's just be real. So we went out up to Seattle for a Go On Girl book club conference. It was huge, wall-to-wall women readers. And Dr. Charles Johnson was there. So when I introduced you to Steve, Dr. Johnson said, the Stephen Bars? <laughs> I'm like, no, this is the Charles Johnson. <laughs> and he's like, the Stephen Barnes. So, hey, that was so exciting. And now I'll take it away because it was a match made in heaven. Chuck. Just, you know, let me just turn it over to you and then we'll, you know, just, how you doing, buddy? Uh, pretty good. And that was 1999, Tyler Reeve, that, okay. that meeting. I remember walking in and saying to you, congratulations, you know, on this award. 
and you said, well, congratulations to you. Would you like to meet Steve? And I instantly knew, instantly, who you were talking about. We met in 1999, but I've been writing about you since the 1980s. Really? Yeah, if you look at my book, Being and Race, Black Writing Since 1970, came out in 1988, the final chapter, I talk a little bit about this person whose work I'd come across. He was black, he was a martial artist, and what? He also did science fiction. And my first thought was, I gotta say something about him because he sounds like me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but he's probably a lot more, oh, I don't know, a nicer guy and, and communicates better with people. Um, so I knew instantly when you said Steve, I said, what other Steve could it be? Um, and, and that was quite a while ago. And what I've learned, is just how how much of an honor it is to know you, Tanana Reeve, and you, Steve. You are you guys are pros, and I value more than anything else professionalism. How do you define professionalism? You've said that several times. I want to be sure that I know exactly what you mean. What is professionalism to you that you have such respect for it? You get the job done. You get it done well. You get it done on time. Okay. Uh, or before time deadline, uh, and you get it done on budget. If you're talking screenplay writing, right? Yeah, I guess you know it, it. It's one thing to sit by yourself and write something that's for your own pleasure, but as soon as you want someone to publish it, let alone invest millions of dollars to produce it, you better come correct. You know, you better understand that these people have. You know, I just saw recently. You know, Francis Ford Coppola being unhappy because people won't give him a hundred million dollars to make a movie without strings attached. And it's like, what? You know, are you kidding me? You know, it's like if, if you go to somebody and so he's making his new movie with his own money and God bless him. I think that that's, that's a, it's very dangerous when you can't get the money people to invest in you. That's a good way to lose your shirt, but I'm hoping that, that he's going to be able to do this thing. But for the rest of us, we're trying to operate in an arena in which people have professional needs, you know, that, that in the creation of what it was that I, I brought to him, I mean, we'd written a couple of short, uh, short stories together first, um, 4189, which actually is, is one of the stories in Eightfold Path. Um, but when we realized we needed to go to someone and say, would you publish this book? We had to be able to give them something that would work for their business needs that he'd be able to take to the people above him, his, his editor, his publisher, you know, and say, this is why this book is important. And hopefully this is why this book will make money. Because if you can't say that, then you're asking for charity. You're asking them to do it because, you know, it's, it's a nice thing to do. And it's, that's all well and good. But if there is a market for what it is that you're doing, then it will make money. And if you if there is no market for it, then why are you asking an entire distribution and production chain to invest their critical time? They're trying to send their kids to school. They're trying to keep a roof over their heads. That that you know it's what in terms of the eightfold path, right occupation. You know that that we're trying to do something that is good to the world, and in the adult world, money matters. So, what are the steps of the eightfold path, Chuck? Because you are. You have written numerous serious academic books on Buddhism and Buddhism and Black people and Buddhism in American and modern life. So tell us a little bit about what it was that you saw I was trying to do. Well, I have been a practicing Buddhist for most of my adult life. Um, I started meditating in my teens when I was 14 years old and, you know, studied uh, Buddhism academically in college and then took my vows in the Soto Zen tradition in 2007. So this is my life. What to say about that? The Eightfold Path, if you want to understand it, you have to understand the four noble truths. The first noble truth is that there is suffering or suffering is universal. The second noble truth is the cause of suffering. And in Sanskrit, the word is Trishna which means craving, craving or selfish desire. That's the second noble truth. The cause of suffering is craving. The third noble truth is there is a way to end suffering, a practice 
if you're willing to embrace it. And the fourth noble truth is the, the practice, the way to end suffering in your life is the eightfold path, which has eight limbs to it. It is, I won't tell you all of them, but right view, right thought, right meditation, right effort, right livelihood, right action, and perhaps very important also, right speech, right speech. So that's what I could bring to this particular project that really, really Steve, you conceived from the ground up and executed. I just was in the passenger seat going along for a really happy ride, but you brought the, you brought the meat and potatoes, that is to say the story idea, the plot, and the character. I just, for the meat and potatoes, I just added some seasoning, philosophical seasoning. In terms of operating within the wheelhouse of a very specific philosophical tradition, I would consider you to have been the master chef in the kitchen overlooking, you know, a, a younger chef, you know, in terms of in terms of this particular type of type of effort, uh, putting things together, you you gave me many corrections. You 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 grounded what I was doing. You gave me the confidence to fly because I knew I wouldn't go in the wrong direction. That you would reel you would reel me back. So, without that confidence, I could not have done this. And I cannot think of another human being that I would have trusted. To, I was just totally open. Whatever you said, I was prepared to do because I wanted to be sure however much the entertainment value had to be there. And it does, because entertainment is the carrier tone of, of any story. But the serious intent, I wanted to be sure that a serious Buddhist would understand that I, that I had done my homework and that my homework said, I don't have a lifetime to go back and study these things. I don't want to hallucinate that I understand more than I understand. So the fact that you're actually walking that path allowed me to just kind of relax and flow. And that is, I, that is a, a pearl beyond price, my friend. I mean, truly it is. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Well, I so, think it's so fancy. I just wanted to, to add, I think what is so fascinating about this project is that it takes something that is so serious, uh, something that you could literally study, you know, in a scholarly way, but applying it to stories that on the surface can just be entertaining, right? A and they're very easy sugar. comics, you know, so there's horror, science fiction, a war story, a martial arts story. You know, there's, you know, it's, there's all the detective stories set in a zombie universe. There's all sorts of different stories, but just as William Gaines did with EC Comics and Mad Magazine, there was a serious philosophical intent underneath that, that at no time were we, were we straying too far from that. There has to be a moral core, I think. So when, when Charles introduced the concept of, of via negativa, would you tell us about that concept? Well, well, I can talk, say a lot about that. The stories, it seems to me, are teaching stories. They, they, you know, all great art entertains. But, you know, 
what these stories do is they educate and as well as entertain. So, you know, there's a moral kind of lesson each in each one of the stories that you compose. But you can't, if you look at these stories, what you're going to understand is don't do this. <laughs> don't do what this guy does. Now, the one exception um, is the gauntlet. Your story, the gauntlet, where you have a very noble martial art character who behaves in a way that is unselfish to save a young man, you know, several young men uh, who have gone astray. So, yeah, that story stands out for me as a very good example of entertainment and educating. Yeah. yeah, I think that the temples of his gods might also be a positive e example. But I think that one of the decisions I made was to not be on the nose, that I wanted I wanted to leave room for people to debate about which which category this story was in to actually have, you know, to to I wanted to honor the intelligence of people by saying, if I am dogmatic about this, I lose. But if if each of these seems to be entertainments, then I'm asking them to look at these things and hopefully they'll begin to look at other entertainments that they look like that they that they, that they look at. I mean, what is Breaking Bad? You know, if that's you know, it's like don't be Walter White. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll buy that because here you're talking about somebody who one step at a time delivered himself unto hell for what seemed to be good intentions at the beginning, but was ultimately a revelation of a corrupt character. Um, once we had this notion, what was critical was for someone on the other side of the editorial desk who is in in contact with the money people to say, yes, I get your vision. So what I'd like to do now is introduce the man who, who midwived this entire project. Yes. Uh, and I just, I, so Tanandri, may, may, I, may I introduce our next guest? Go right ahead. Go right All ahead. All right. John Jennings is a professor of media and cultural studies at the University of California in Riverside. Jennings is co-editor of the Eisner award-winning collection, The Blacker the Ink, Constructions of Black Identity in Comics and Sequential Art. Jennings is also a 2016 Nazir Jones Hip Hop Studies Fellow with the Hutchins Center at Harvard University. Jennings' current projects include the horror anthology Box of Bones, the coffee table book, Black Comics Returns with Damian Duffy and the Eisner winning, Bram Stoker Award winning, New York Times bestselling graphic okay. novel adaptation of Octavia Butler's classic dark fantasy novel, Kindred. Jennings is also founder and curator of the Abrams Megascope line of graphic novels. He's also a 2021 Hugo Award winner for the illustrations on Abrams comic arts graphic novelization of Parable of the Sower. And it is a huge, huge honor to be able to introduce the man himself, the myth, the legend, John Jennings. Hey, cue uh, applause if we okay. had it. Maybe I think I appreciate that, Steve. I think that's the first time that someone's actually like read the bio the way it was supposed to be. <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> like the stops and starts and everything. I was like, yeah, that's I appreciate that. Thank you. It's it's a great honor uh, to be on the uh, the show. You know how big big a fan I, uh, I am of you and Tananarive and of course Charles. So thank you so much for having me. You know I really appreciate it. Pleasure. So what spoke to you about Eightfold Path when you first heard about it, John? You know, so many things. First of all, you know, I mean, you have two legendary writers, right, who work on this together. And when Steve first told me about the project, I was like, I, I want to see we're having a conversation about Megascope in general. Please. And Steve was like, hey, I'm, work I'm working on this project, <laughs> you know, with Charles Johnson. And I think um, that's the first thing. I was like, okay, these are two incredibly talented <laughs> individuals, first of all. Second thing is that I'm a massive fan of EC Comics. Like, obviously, I'm a huge horror fan, but I'm also a big fan of what Gaines used to call the preachies, right? That's what he called them, he called them preachies. You know, that's what, when, when he talked about EC comics like ethos, he was like, we're, we're, we're preaching. <laughs> we're, we're telling people about how to live a life. Yes, we're doing with ghouls and like gore and like unseemly situations, but at the end of it, they are morality tales, right? Yes. And the way it was set up is like, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of like Night Gallery and Illustrated Man and Twilight Zone and all the things that you were referencing, including like the, the books that were directly uh, influenced by EC Comics, like 
the, the DC Comics horror line, for instance, like House of Mystery and, you know, Tales of the Unexpected and all these things, right? Creepy and, and eerie. Creepy and eerie. And that's, that's the second one, the Warren, the Warren magazine. Yes. Creepy and eerie. That's, you read my mind. <laughs> so, yeah, so all of those, all those things were my childhood. <laughs> and then also the fact that the, uh, the Megascope line is dedicated to really t- trying to, like, uh, you know, upend the idea that Black folk and people of color are, are monoliths, right? And so, you know, it's not just... Uh, a particular type of story that we can tell. And I love the beautiful complexity of it. The setup reminded me so much of the 1970s horror story, uh, uh, the, the Tales from the Crypt movie oh, yeah. from the 70s, right, with Joan Collins. Or Canterbury Tales. I mean, Canterbury, it's a very yeah, ancient exactly. tradition. The idea of, of an interlocking story, uh, is it, it has a classic aspect to it. And then it also had this really like kind of pop culture piece as well. But the end goal is Tananari was talking about was to teach this very wonderfully complex, you know, spiritual system, you know, and it just, it just spoke to me on so many levels. And I was like, how am I going to sell this? I'm going to pitch this to Abrams, <laughs> you know, very you know they, they're very like, this is a book about Superman, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like very straightforward. Right. So, and, and, and the way I was talking about it is like, well, when I'm putting together a project, I think like a DJ, you know, I'm like, okay, so what beats do we have to put in? What assets do we have to sample from? That kind of thing, right? So I always call myself a CJ. You know, as, a te- as, as you said, I was a hip hop scholar, right? So I think about like, well, what are these different components? You know, how, how do they fit together for a book? You know, because I know that there's an audience for it, you know, even if it's just me, but I know there's, <laughs> I know there's <laughs> you know, and that's kind of like what attracted me to it. I was like, this is going to be a test to see what kinds of experimental books we can do with this, with, with, with Megascope, you know, where it's not just, you know, books about Black people suffering in history, right? Because we are doing books about like the unfortunate aspects of like racialized oppression and, and civil rights struggles and things. We're doing Emmett Till book, you know, things of that nature. But what types of like interlocking dreams can we actually, can we push as well, you know, through this imprint? So that's that's what my thought was, you know? And it was, it was, it was risky, you know, because, you know, Eightfold Path has been on, it, it was on the, it was in the original, um, pitch to Abrams, you know, from the beginning. Like this this particular book, uh, like some of the others, has always been one that I wanted to do. So know? this was on your slate when you were just first pitching the entire right. Megascope line. That's right. It was on the initial Megascope line pitch. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. From the wow. What a vote of confidence. That's, that's yeah. fantastic. I know I've never done a project where we played with as many different genres, as many different types of work. I mean, there are ways... And I always kind of think to myself, what if this is the last book I ever write, right. the last thing I ever do? If people look at this, does it encapsulate who it is that I am and what it is that I think about the world? And, you know, there are ways in which I there are maybe four or five projects out of the 30-something books that I've written where I could say, yeah, if I had had, had to stop at that point, that mm-hmm. would have been a good representation of who I was at that moment. And right now, I think... I'm trying to rediscover my original voice. You know, the question, the society can be a lot like a Procrustean bed. And for black artists working in Hollywood, working in New York, sometimes you you file off the rough edges. You don't say everything that's in your mind. You, you are that's aware sure. that, the, that the target audience does not necessarily want to hear everything you have to say. Well, yeah. this is one of the very few times I didn't hold myself back at all. What you're seeing here is who I am, <laughs> you, know? <Right. laughs> you know, and it, it's it's a beautiful thing. And I wanted to be sure that it worked for Chuck and that it worked for you, mm-hmm. you know, and it worked for your company. You know, the people willing to put out the time and the energy and the money to make this happen. Yeah, yeah. you pay attention to that. But at the core of all that has to be the sense of that little kid inside me. That little Buddha baby that started the world, you know, earth below, heaven above, no one in the world like me. And then how much of that do we lose? Can you get back to that voice and find the part of you that looks at the world uniquely? And so I am I am so grateful. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I am so grateful that you gave us the opportunity to do this. This is this is hugely meaningful to me. And I will never forget that you had that faith. Well, I, I mean, it's it was easy, Steve. Seriously, for me to have faith, you know, I was like, I knew it was going to be a wonderful project. And also, you know, when I started thinking about who could who could work on it, you know, that's why I was, you know, who could be the artists, 
Yes. On it, you know, and that's why I was thinking about Brian's work. So why don't you introduce Brian? You yeah, can talk a little bit about Brian, then let's bring him in. Because oh, this definitely. is the one thing about graphic novels, and I'm just learning this myself as, <laughs> yes. as someone entering the world of graphic novels for the first time with one we have coming out later this year, is that the illustrator is a co-author, right? It's not yes, like your co-author. story yeah. as illustrated by, no, y'all are telling the story. The illustrator might be the director and the art director and exactly. the editor. You know, really, yeah. we write the script, but the illustrator has massive responsibility. Yes, you know it's it's a very it's one of the most beautiful, surreal, amazing mediums ever created is comics. You know because of the fact that it's a syncretic, you know, kind of amalgam of different types of of storytelling. You know, and, and it's so flexible. And I think like the inherent surreality of comics as a medium is what helped us put together something like the A4 Path. You know, it totally makes sense on the page. You know, and the other thing too is like. Comics are an abstraction, you know, and so it take, it's really good at actually taking things that are really abstract and turning them into like concretized forms, you know. No, so basically, let, let me let me tell you about the about this amazing gentleman Brian Brian Christopher Moss. We met online actually. I, I saw I think he was he was a good friend of my friend David Brain, who, who I think you guys have met as well. We worked on After the Rain together, and um, I was looking at his work and I was just like, this work is, 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 is vibrant. It's very, it's beautiful. It has these different aspects to it. And I just hit him up, you know, on Facebook. And I was like, man, I would, I would really like to talk to you about your work. You know, and this is years ago. I mean, I think now at this particular point, we've known each other for about a decade or so. <laughs> and it's a really big name in the, in the Columbus art scene, you know, both as a, as a fine artist and fine art teacher and kind of a, uh, kind of a cultural uh, um, activist and curator. Um, he's a he's a painter, a muralist, an illustrator, an educator, a creative director. He was uh, born and raised and, and been working in Columbus, Ohio, and he's been working for as a professional artist for for the last like twenty years or so. He's a self taught artist who focuses not only on, on pushing his artistic limits but also creating impact and camaraderie in the art community. You know, and I thought he did perfect for this project. This is um, one of my one of my my best. Uh, uh, colleagues and friends, uh, Brian Christopher Moss. There he is. Welcome. Hey, Brian. Thank you for having me, everybody. One day we're going to have our sound effects together on this podcast and you'll have applause at moments like this. uh, We're still building. We're still building. Great to have all all of you. This is is, uh, something very unique in the history, the short history of this podcast. We've never had so many guests at the same time. (laughs) Brian, why don't you start by giving us a little rundown on your reaction when the project was brought to you and then that'll bring, bring us up to up to speed and then we can just talk like a bunch of buddies yeah totally so when john spoke to me about the project when was that john 2019 was that 2019 or 20 it had to be, it had to be around around that time yep. yep yeah it was like cusp you know around the turn of the year and so during that time when i initially got the script and I looked over it. I was like, okay, this is a lot of work. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Keeping foremost. it real. I was like, right, yeah, I was like, okay, this is a lot of work. This is a lot of ideas and a lot of styles. But the thing about that, that's where I thrive. So like, um, I'm really a huge fan of like doing different styles or like taking risks stylistically. And so when John was informing me about the project and like gave me permission to have that license to do that, then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, let's go. I was ready then. So yeah, so it was like a combination of John's encouragement and then obviously reading the script. And then I had to do my research. So as I researched Charles and Steve, I was got a little nervous. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I still, I still want to do it. And I'm familiar with them, but you know, like- when We're you so intimidated. Actually, yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, so I figured to step up and, you know, put on my big boy pants, let's go, you know, so that's how I got started on the project. Love Very it. cool. Very cool. <laughs> we, so, we, did, we did an episode about collaboration last week with just the two of us, but now we're talking about a situation where you have three collaborators. You have two whoa. co-authors and an illustrator. How difficult is it to find your own voice within someone else's inspiration so i take on a lot of work like i don't say no to projects and during that time i was working on a project for white castle because they're from columbus and it was like their 100th year anniversary and it was like included this mural and then these cup designs and so this project took an entire year so these projects overlap 
And so during that time when I was working and developing, you know, going into Eightfold Path, I realized that it took more than just my voice. And what I mean by that is that I could, I guess for lack of better words, exploit or take advantage of the fact of my community and support that and bring in other artists. So the way that I created it was kind of like a bullpen where it was rotating artists. So we had some people working on storyboards and then I had some people working on inks, coloring, and but not everything was filtered through like me drawing it or coming off of the storyboards from what my friends created. So it was a highly collaborative process. And during that time, when you go into it, that's where I was like, okay, I have to remove the ego. That was like, cause I just want to style and like do all kinds of cool stuff. So I had to really pull back during that time. So yeah, so thinking back about it, it made me redefine and think about how I approach just working and collaborating period. So more of like, hey, what are your extracting ideas from my friends and stuff like that? And, and to allyship and have support during that time of the book. And you, and you essentially created a studio around this project. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that was included with like, I would say about eight to 10 artists. And so there would be points where we're just sitting around at a table and rotating the pages inking like every 15 minutes. So it was actually very addictive and very fun because it was like one of those things where I could like hang out with my friends and actually work, which is rare, especially as a painter, you know, it's a lot of isolation. So yeah, so it was almost a communal space. And then there was a lot of symbolic process in that I was living in my mentor's house at the time. So it was a very nurturing thing. So I feel that a lot of that came through from the book, you know, into me. So it's a definitely a kinetic process, you know. Dr. Charles Johnson, I wanted to just jump in for a moment to sort of take a a long view. I mentioned that, you know, I've been reading your uh, comics since I was a kid. And I'm wondering when you first discovered the power of comics, cartoons to tell important stories. Well, that was in childhood. I mean, that was back in the 1950s. I was an avid comic reader because I was I was interested in looking at art from everywhere. You know, I mean, from every country, every culture, every time period. And comics, you know, happened to be one of those uh, vehicles for expression that, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words all over the planet. It's like music. You know, people can understand the visual image. We think in terms of pictures. That is an old truth, I think. So I was passionate about drawing from the time that I was, you know, very young and kept it up and... Work as a cartoonist from professionally 65 to 72 and did a lot of work, did a TV show. And I have a, my first collection of cartoons in 49 years comes out in September. Um, oh, fantastic. What's it called? That's awesome. It's called All Your Racial Problems Will Soon End. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> Finally, yes. It's about time, yeah. <laughs> this work is over 50 years old. This is stuff I did in the late 60s, early 70s. And so it's kind of interesting to see it miraculously resurrected uh, in the last couple of years. But that was my passion. And that will lead you, of course, to being interested in storytelling. You know, my friend Ethelbert Miller, the poet. uh, Yes. Yeah, you know Ethelbert. Yes. Art activist. He interviewed me for a year. And one year... Uh, I think it was like 2011, he asked me about cartoons and comic art. And he said, is a cartoon a visual poem? Hmm. I thought about it and I said, yeah, it is. You know, a short poem, (laughs) right? But, you know, the the arts are all interrelated. I think we have to realize that. When you talk about visual arts, literary arts, Steve, we can add martial arts. Absolutely. Yeah. Expression of the deep self. You know, when when Bruce Lee says, you know, I don't hit, it hits, you know, when Stephen King talks about, he doesn't come up with the ideas, it's the boys in the basement, you know, it's that the deepest well of art is at the level of unconscious competence, the things that you don't think about that you have spent the time and energy so that it's on automatic, you just automatically respond that way and you don't even know what you're doing. 
anymore. You know, so if somebody asks Hemingway what the symbology of the old man in the sea is, he says, there's no symbols. It's a guy in a boat and a big fish. He, you're talking about a master um, at that deepest, deepest level. And you, you know, it, it takes 10,000 hours. 10,000 hours won't make you a master, but all the masters spent 10,000 hours getting there. I would love to have the other panelists here discuss, you know, because everybody here has professional level skills. That means that they have those skills at the level of unconscious competence. Tell us a little bit about your road. How did you do that? Because once again, the people listening to this, they want to have to be on that road of mastery. And so mm -hmm. how did you get your feet on? The yeah, road? Brian, you were self-taught. That's a pretty fascinating uh, story. Yeah, if I could like, I'll kind of like tailor it to where it's kind of like my story, us kind of giving advice. So I would say the key to my breakthrough really early on, and this is like really young, they found me, art found me really early, was that I had a mentor by the age of seven. The second part of that would definitely be discipline. And it's like a weird thing because it comes across as like a very masculine aggressive thing. But that be come across in different forms. The discipline goes back to just having the ability to sit down and focus on what you're creating. I would say that those were the two main keys that really separated me from people who did it as a hobby to doing it professionally. And then the other parts that come along with that along the way is like education. So I actually like took advantage of things, museums, reading the boring art books, you know, that kind of stuff. So even stuff that, you're not really into, or even say some aspect of art that you need. I, if I feel that way, I actually go towards it because it's like, why do I feel that way? And so those are the kind of the steps and keys that are even in my life today that I still use in order to create. And actually, and I always see myself as a student. I never, so there's always something to learn, right? So I never approach it as if I've done this. So I'm a master of it. It's like, okay, this is just the next step in the next process. And then the other key to that, I say work smart, not hard. So definitely take advantage of like technology and things like that. So, because a lot of artists are very traditional and I have a friend who makes brushes. I'm just like, there's no way. <laughs> it's, just like, it's like, no one has time for that. That's a but I can appreciate. Yeah, but I can appreciate the idea of it. There's a discipline there. But it's like there has to be a practicality to the process. So definitely those kind of concepts weigh heavy on me, more of a practitioner of it, some drawing things physically, uh, those things. So as an illustrator, you have to do the act of drawing. So a lot of time when you're theorizing, that only goes so far. So those are the kind of things where it's that road where you want to stay kind of in the middle. You don't want to be too far this way or too far that. So yeah, and then just single single focus, art, 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 art. So yeah, that's my journey and story and advice. <laughs> you know, every book I've read by a, a female writer speaks about discipline, you know, but that, that sometimes they will put it in the, I just love it. It's hunger. Just, you know, just, they just want to do it. So I think yeah. it's, it's, we have both sides. We have yin and yang and we can label those different things, but really we all have the potential for all of this. And, and, and John and John also, you're an acquiring editor, thank goodness, because that's why the Eightfold yeah. Path will be, be making it out. But you're also a working artist. So I'm, I'm, I want to go back to that sort of inspiration piece that, that Steve talked about in the beginning, how you made it to the point of being a professional level artist, but also has it changed? How have comics changed since when you first started? Oh, man, those are both great questions. So I don't know. I, I, I think... I fell in love with reading first. You know, my mother went to Alcorn State University for English, didn't finish, got pregnant with me, I dropped out of college. You know, Alcorn is a, it's a HBCU, a historically Black college university in Mississippi. And, you know, she ended up moving back, you know, with her parents, my grandparents. And so I grew up in a very isolated agrarian space, you know, with a single mom who was trying to figure out, okay, how do I raise this kid? <laughs> like post-civil post rights era, I was born in 1970. And uh, I started reading at a super early age. And I think that's where my love for the art started. It's just like, just the love for knowledge. You know, I often tell people like, I had this kind of like weird, almost like Steinbeckian upbringing. Like I used to, I literally was a stargazer. Like I would actually lay on 
much to my mom's chagrin, I would like cl climb on top of a barn and actually lay on top of the, the barn and stare at the stars and wonder what was out there at an early age, you know. And um, I fell in love with mythology and folklore super early. I had like three library cards. I had one for the for the the, the town that I lived in, Florida, Mississippi, uh, and I had one for Canton, Mississippi, which is actually the um, you know that's the, uh, the the county seat, <laughs> and also for um, Jackson. You know, and so I started reading very early and actually fell in love with images very early. My mom gave me my first comics. And from then on, I was hooked. Anything that looked like a comic book or like pretended to be a comic book, any, any image that looked like a symbol, I was into it, right? And so I found, I, I started drawing at a very early age. And I think one of the, one of the best uh, gifts uh, that I have found, I found that, that passion super early. But also I realized like, I think, and, and, I, and I think this is for any profession that, knowing where you stand in a spectrum of the experience is very important. You know, you know, you, you can't come out the gate and say, I'm the best writer ever, right? <laughs> that you're going to fail at that. <laughs> you know, that's not going to work out right for you. I think at an early age, I realized that there were artists that were better than me. And I wanted to, and that made me want to be good and be a better artist. Like I remember meeting like, a, you know, for a huge family, I met a cousin of mine who was actually a talent artist and I could see, how how good he was. I was like, man, this guy is really good. You know, I'm, and I, I just wanted to hang out with him and understand like why he was so good. It was practice and practice, was drawing. And um, yeah, and that's and that was something that I think still sticks with me to this day, like to understand the continuum of like different types of work and where you stand in that space. But I went to school. I actually, first of all, went to the military to start with, you know, because I didn't have, I didn't have a, 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 a lot of direction as far as like doing, do, you know, going to school, being an artist, and so my mom was like, you're going to be an artist? I'd rather you go to the military and retire. And that's all I heard. I was 17, went to the Army. Uh, fortunately, I was in a car accident that <laughs> actually messed my foot up bad enough that I couldn't be trained anymore. <laughs> actually, I have, a, I have a, steel, um, a piece of steel on my right foot, on my, holding my third metatarsal together. It's one of the best things that ever happened to me. And mm -hmm. I'm getting a scholarship to Jackson State because I actually also was valedictorian in my high school. And I actually ended up uh, signing my, my scholarship papers while I was like mending in a, in a military hospital at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, actually. And, uh, and that was the first time I realized that parents don't know everything. <laughs> you know? I know that's right. <laughs> oh boy. And so, yeah. And, and from then on, I, you know, I worked, uh, I worked as, I was a working artist at like 20. You know, I was like, you know, making money as an artist as soon as I could. And then, um, I ended up going to uh, get, getting a uh, internship at, at the Clarion Ledger, which was the uh, the newspaper of Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, I was offered a job by Gannett, you know, to work for like, you know, for, for work for them. USA Today, to et cetera. Yeah, USA Today, exactly. Yeah, and I ended up going to uh, grad school, University of Illinois at Urbana Champaign. Uh, first masters in art education because uh, I wanted to art a high school art teacher, but then I realized I was pretty good at graphic design, so I got an MFA in graphic design. And I became, and I went back to Jackson State University. I started their graphic design program and I've worked there for four years. Um, and then went back to U of I, worked there for about eight years, got tenure there. I was the only the second African-American uh, art artist, you know, to get tenure uh, in the, at the school. And then, um, you know, I was there for eight years. I went to the University of Buffalo. So I've been teaching, I've been, I've been in that space for a while. And one thing about being on a tenure track, it makes you focus, it's like, you know, if you do not publish, it's publish or perish for real. If you don't, if you don't put out work, then guess what? You get, you're going to lose your job. You're not going to be able to, to, to continue working in that space. And I'm very competitive on the sly. <laughs> so, and, I, and at the time I was just trying to figure out like, well, how do I, how do I get this done? How do I, how do I, I, can, I, I get better? And I've always loved comics. And so I fell back in love with comics. I want to say in the early 2000s. And then I actually kind of stumbled across this, this thing called Afrofuturism. Yeah. And then before you know it, I became one of the leading like visual voices in the space, which, you know, it's, it's still weird for me to say, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's actually what happened. And so here we are now in this kind of this new renaissance of black speculative art, art just, that we're, you know, engaged with right now. So that's kind of. It's incredible. That goes, you know, one of the things that I'm hearing in you, yeah, John, is yeah. you both did the work and you taught other people to do the work. Yes. And yeah. I have run across the, the greatest masters that I know are always learning. They're always doing, and they're always teaching. That's correct. Uh, they, they share, they're standing right in the middle of that road. It's flowing through them. They're not trying to hold on to it. Yes. Um, 
so that that goes right into that into that notion. But one of the things that happens when you're trying to move from one level to the next, it it challenges the ego, and plus you're going to get resistance from the outside world. So stress is going to be a constant constant fact you are engaged with life. And I would like to ask, I, I mentioned the thing that I do for stress, which is breathing exercises and engagement and lots of hugs and, you know, just, just making sure that I understand that this is the life that I chose, that I chose this, this is not being inflicted upon me. Okay. It's similar so for I me. Like I, have... I use music in that way. Uh, my mm-hmm. piano is behind me and, and walking and that sort of thing. But yeah, we wanted to, I didn't mean to cut you off. But I did, we, no, no, we, no. we wanted to ask all of our panelists, starting with you, um, Dr. Charles Johnson. Uh, how, what do you do to relieve stress? How do you relieve stress? Oh, I practice meditation. Um, I work out uh, in the martial arts. I've been doing that since I was 19. I still get together with old buddies. We've been working out since the 80s. One is 66. Another guy's in his 50s. Um, I've been doing it ever since I was 19, so this is part of my life. But also, you know, being able to just step away and step back and appreciate the moment in which we're living, you know, uh, living in the present, you know, not worrying about the future that hasn't come, not worrying about the past, which cannot be changed, but living in the present moment as Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, the great spiritual teacher taught. So take a moment during the day and just appreciate the beauty that is all around us and always there. You know, take a deep breath. I think breathe. You 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 talk about that, Steve. You know, breathing yes. um, in and out. So meditation, martial arts, um, that kind of helps me chill out. Yeah, fantastic. I bet about- reading is in there too. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, John? How do you dump stress? You know, um, it's funny that you you mentioned breathing because you know I'm I'm not a practicing martial artist or, <laughs> but I'm a human being. Right. And so um, what I do is breathe, like for real, like I will actually um, definitely, like you said, center myself, I will take a deep, I used to do a lot of meditation earlier, like in my early twins, I need to get back to it, honestly, but I will actually stare at the sky, you know, some, it's somewhere I start, I just look at this, at this, at the, at the sky, whatever's happening. You did that as a child. You did as a child. Exactly. You're going back into your child space. You're right. finding something that brought you peace as a child and it brought that into your adult life. That is wise. That's, yeah, that's great. You. Thank you. I, I I don't get called wise a lot. I get called mostly as wise ass. Wise ass, ass. <laughs> there goes our clean rating. So I know that's okay. Right. Yeah, no, but Brian. but, but oh, no, but, but you, that's something. No, but but also I draw. Actually, I know that's funny, but you know the thing that that I use to like make money sometimes actually still gives me a lot of release, and because because it, it's a natural thing. And what you're saying is I'm a conduit for creativity. Yeah. And, and May I creativity. assume that when you go into your art space, you're in flow? Um, Does time uh, disappear? Yes, very much so. There you go. Uh, so you, you, you find the things that help you that time, where time is disappearing. And yes. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Brian, what about you? Um, in agreement with uh, Charles and John, the uh, working out is like Mary, you know, exclusively. So it's like a lot of cycling, Peloton, um, also really healthy eating. Mm-hmm. But the thing I would like to key in on, because I don't think a lot of people either don't come from this environment or never really experience this. So yeah, so growing up poor, I it was like these kind of conditions where um, I didn't really take care of the surrounding, you know, because you don't have resources. So the one thing that I did as I got older and like to support the art and to decompress was actually like have a healthy living space and create a space to where I can actually like lax opposed to the environment being hostile. And so people who come from that environment or that world, I strongly advise just even if it's something simple or if you don't even have that space in your environment, you can go to like libraries and things like that. There's resources in your city that can provide the same space of like decompression if you're in those worlds. So it's more kind of like advice slash like my personal experience. I love that. That's and great. and that's so true to, to find uh, beauty, even when, mm-hmm. when you don't think there is any, uh, to, to Charles Johnson's point, there's always beauty around us somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
I, so, I would love for our panelists to tell our audience where they can, you know, c connect with you. You know, where where can they find out more about what you're doing? Chuck, you you first. Where where can people connect with you? And well, you know, you can reach me. I'm retired from the University of Washington. I'm a professor emeritus. I retired 14 years ago, but anybody can uh, reach me at uh, the University of Washington uh, and, and via email, if that's what you mean. Well, do you have a website? I do have a website. Yes, it's www.oxherdingtail.com. Fantastic. John? Um, so you can find me on my site. Uh, it's johnjenningsstudio.com, all one word. I'm also on the Twitters at, uh, <laughs> at J.I. Jennings uh, and also Instagram, uh, which is John Jennings Art. Great. Brian? Um, mine would be uh, my Instagram. It would be Strains Moss. I use that primarily as my portfolio um, and as my contact. So definitely reach out. Um, also Facebook, but Instagram is my primary. So Strange Did you give that Instagram Moss. again? Did you say Strange Moss? Strange Things Moss. Strange things, Moss. Like Strange it. things, Moss. That's mm -hmm. great. So, <laughs> Eightfold Path is going to be out uh, March twenty second. I understand. So that'll be right. that'll be great. Um, and pre order, pre order, pre order, pre order. Um, we, the thematic. We always try to tie this in with with some of the thematics that we're doing. And today, the uh, the fifth step of the hero's journey, allies and powers, was all over this. And I would like I would encourage you to listen to this again pick out all those different skills that you hear people talk about here and look at it at, at specifically the gathering of allies finding other people who have skills you do not have that enable you to play bigger than you'd play if you let your ego say well i just want to have control over everything no sometimes the very best work you're going to do will be when you give up control and that's allow right. other people to guide you i know that's been true for me um this the continuation of this podcast is 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 you're going to be able to follow it at www.lifewritingpodcast.com. Um, you can join get on our mailing list at www.lifewritingweekly.com and our year-long life writing premium program, which is a year-long writing program. Uh, every week we're coaching you can be you can take a look at that at www.lifewritingpremium.com so any, any final words t yeah it's a lot of conversations like this uh, videos pdfs lectures essays it's a subscription program so you get a new lesson every week so check it out at www.lifewritingpremium.com Com. I would like to thank the our panelists today so much. Chuck, you have just made my life a better place. There's no question. Three deep bows and, you know, and John Jennings. What again, can we say? Thank you for having faith. <laughs> thank you. Thank you oh, so much. Oh, my God. And, and the money to back it up. You know, yeah, in this world, <laughs> money matters. Brian, you brought your whole, you put your foot all up in this. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, you know, bringing thank your youthful you. enthusiasm and just you know it's it's just great any last words either, either any of you have before we wrap up so i'm good friends with a, 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 a comics critic adam mcgovern and he writes for uh, high lowbrow and i let him check out the keeper and eightfold path and he said that eightfold path is a staggering collage of styles and voices with a remarkable consistency of vision oh and nice. He said, and he, oh. and this is the guy who knows comics, and he and, um, uh, and he said of the keeper. He said the keeper broke my heart and may be the best graphic novel of 2022. Get the heck out! That's what he said. See, that's get the heck out. You can't out. do this alone, people. Will you All listen right. to this? Thank you. Know, you. I'm going to have tears in my eyes. He knows. All coming. I wanted was for people to <laughs> be able to see this, to be able to work with somebody like Chuck, to be able to document that for a little while on this planet we knew each other, you know, and and John and Brian. This is why I got into the arts. Thank you, people. And thank you, everyone who's listening. And, you know, tune in again next week. I hope that you're having a wonderful life, that you can fulfill your dreams and understand that if you're willing to put your effort behind those dreams and you're willing to provide value so that other people see how they can create their dreams by helping you fulfill yours, you can have the life you want. Whether you're an artist or whatever undertaking it is, a new business, sometimes you reach a point where you can't 
do it all alone. And that's where you need to look for your allies and powers. Hollywood is all about collaboration. Collaboration can happen in the household. It can happen in the community. This has just been a great example of what happens when you put together so many fantastic creative people. So thank you for tuning in. Go on and write the story of your life. Make yourself a hero or heroine of your own story. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Rosebud. (laughs) You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand-friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.